Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Verse 7 of chapter 7 in Matthew. It's in red letter edition in my Bibles, meaning that Jesus was saying it. He says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. I want to talk to you for a little bit about prevailing in prayer. Prevailing in prayer. And I believe that there's a progression in this scripture that shows us how to progress in our prayers. And I want to show that to you for a little while today. And I hope that with the story of Hannah, we can kind of see the power of God working in in our lives through her example. And today we start to kind of sync together with our life groups. Our life groups are in a series called Famous Prayers. And we're going to start a series today called Famous Prayers. And we're going to look at Hannah's life. So if you want to put your finger in 1 Samuel, where Hannah's story begins. We'll start there when we get to into the sermon, but I just want to say today that I believe that prayer is the most important thing the church can do. Amen? It is the most important thing that the church can do because out of prayer is where we get our desire to reach the lost. And so let's pray today. Jesus, take us into your word. Help me to communicate it in a way that's received. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. So there's a concept. Thank you, Brother Dean. Appreciate you. There's a concept that's always been present throughout Scripture, and that is that we are laborers together with Christ. We're working together with the Lord. And so some people say that whatever the Lord's going to do, He's going to do with or without you, but He wants you to be involved in the process. How many know that God wants us to be workers together with him? Matthew 11 and 28 says, Come to me, all, who, all of you who are labor, or labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He not only wants to have you be a participant in his work, but he also wants you to be a participant in his rest. Amen? How many know this is the first day of the week? It's a pretty simple answer. It's not, it's not a trick question. The first day of the week is supposed to be the day of rest. Amen? But when we find out that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the earth, we find out that in Him we have rest every single day. So Monday's a day of rest. Tuesday's a day of rest. doesn't matter what your schedule says. Wednesday's a day of rest. And we can have His perfect plan for us every single day. Amen? Not only to work with Him, but to rest in Him. Amen, somebody. So rest is not recreation. How many have gone on vacation and needed a vacation from the vacation? Oh, yeah, I got a few people there. You come home and you're tired. You've been driving home or flying home or whatever it is, and you thought you would find rest in the vacation, but even though there may have been moments of rest, you found out with the stress of travel and everything else, you feel like you need another vacation. But the truth in the scripture is that when his spirit lives inside of us, his rest is found in visitation from God. So visitation brings 
relaxation in a, in a way that we can only understand through the scriptures. So we rest when we are in the presence of the Lord. That's why we need to pray every day. That's why we need to seek the Lord every day. If we're going to work together with Him and rest in Him, it makes sense that we need to be in His presence every day. Amen? So some way, you need to be in the presence of the Lord, whether it's reading the Word of God or praying or maybe stepping away at lunch into your car and saying some prayers. But prayer is a very pivotal point in our life to give us the will of God. We will never, however, prevail in prayer until we learn how to persist in prayer. It's very important to give ourselves over to time in prayer. I remember the first time in Bible college, I heard about the guys that were going into the guy's dorm prayer room, and they were praying for three and four and five and six hours at a time, and I thought, you don't have a life. You have no schedule. How do you possibly pray for a full hour, let alone three or four or five hours? And then I began to seek the Lord in this area, and he said, why don't you try it? And I was like, I don't think so. My attention span is about this long. I mean, I have the, most, they say Americans have the attention span of a goldfish now. Um, I've had that all my life, just so you know. <laughs> it's been one of those things where I decided to step further than I had ever been before in prayer. And when I did that, God changed my entire focus. I went to Bible college for music. I was going to be a music minister. Fun fact. And uh, I got through my first semester, and I began this prayer journey, Carla, where I was going. At the end of the day, I would go to the men's prayer room, and I would just lay before the Lord, and an hour would go by. Two hours would go by, and it was powerful. God would show up. If you've never prayed in persistent prayer until you have crossed over into the presence of God, where it's so strong, and it's so rich, and it's so thick, and it changes your perspective on so many things in life, the things you think you needed to fight are no longer the things you're fighting, amen? The things you think that were also all so big and so, so much of a struggle suddenly disappear whenever you walk into the presence of the Savior. And that, that prayer changed my life forever. And put me on the course to where I am now standing here simply because I was persistent in prayer. Not because I was someone special, but because I was longing for something from God greater than I had ever seen before. Have you been there before? Have you ever been desperate for God? Have you ever been needing God so much that it didn't matter what it cost you in time or schedule? You just decided, I'm going to be prevailing in my prayer. I'm going to find a way to do it. And then throughout that time, I learned that you can apply something known as PUSH, prayer. It's an acronym that means pray until something happens. Have you ever been in a place where you needed to just have God move and it didn't matter if he moved the way you wanted him to as long as you knew he was moving in the situation. You would trust him with his will and it's so much easier to trust God and release your will to his will when you're in a visitation of the Lord. Amen? Whenever you're in a place of prayer that you've been long enough where it no longer matters what he says to you. It just matters that he's there with you. Amen. So sometimes I found myself not feeling like I was prevailing in life or that the scripture that I read was not coming to pass maybe in my personal life. But in those moments where I felt like I was waiting on the Lord, everybody knows there's times when you're in God's waiting room. Amen. 
And you feel like you've taken a number and you're just waiting for God to call your name and, and say, yep, this is what we're going to do. But sometimes when I was waiting on the Lord that I had found in my personal prayer life that I can prevail in prayer even if it doesn't feel like I'm prevailing in life. I hope you can understand that with me. And maybe you have a roller coaster of a life like I do, where sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. Sometimes you look like the situation looks like it's going your way. Sometimes it looks like everything's going against you. But in those moments, you haven't changed as a child of God. You're still walking in God, amen? You're still living for the Lord. Therefore, what changed? It actually is an emotional dynamic in your life. It's the fact that you're living in a fallen world, a broken world that has all these different dynamics. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, of course, the scripture tells us, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness. <clears throat> in high places, excuse me. So I know this, that if it's just my feelings or if it's just the circumstance that I'm facing, then if I can't see myself prevailing, then I have to see myself into the presence of God so I can prevail in prayer. Yeah. So I get my victory from my visitation. I get my victory from going to God in prayer. And when I push into those moments, I find that he's there and he's precious and he helps me. When you encounter a closed door <coughs> like Hannah did in scripture, if you turn to 1 Samuel, we'll kind of start with this famous prayer. And we can see in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, the story play out of Hannah, who was a woman of God. She was a maiden of God, the scripture says. <coughs> I apologize. I'm getting over a cold. <clears throat> that just doesn't seem to want to go away. So pray for me as I try to handle this, uh, this day. The Bible says in chapter 1 that now there was a certain man named Ramath, uh, I can't even say it, Ramathim Zohim. This, these are hard names to say. These are all available for new baby names if you're looking for a new baby name, just so you know. Jerohim and Elkanah, those are, those are always high on the baby list every year. And Zuf, there we go. That's, what's his name? This is Zuf Johnson. An, Ifri, an Ifriite. So it says who they are and who, where they're from, and it gives a, gives a name of Elkanah, who is actually the husband of Hannah. And then in verse 2, it says, and he had two wives. How many know you shouldn't have two wives? <laughs> Uh, just because in, no, in their day, this was something, <laughs> this was something that was acceptable, <laughs> and it's making me nervous to talk about, apparently. And how many know that just because culture accepts something doesn't mean it's right with God? So we have a culturally accepted practice of multiple wives in the Old Testament, and the Bible says that God once winked at ignorance, referring to this kind of behavior, but now commands all men to repent. So we know that there's further revelation and understanding, and I can only support one wife. I would not want to. Amen, all the men in the room. All right, good. You're with me. At least I have some support. And he had two wives, and the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, and Hannah had no children. Verse 3, and this man went up out of the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. It was common practice. This is something they did to roll their sins ahead. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And, where, and when the time was that 
Elkanah offered, he gave to Peniah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters, portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. Everyone say he loved Hannah. She didn't, now you have to understand in the day and the culture that they're writing here and, and what's going on is a woman's value was different than a woman's value today. We have a much more evolved culture. Now I've talked about this. I talked about it a little bit last week. Status of a woman has changed. In 2018, this story doesn't make much sense. But in their day, this made sense. He gave them a portion. But the Bible said that he loved Hannah, even though in their culture, being able to propagate children was very important. Having a man-child to carry on the name of the family was of high importance. And women were looked at as valuable if they were to bring forth an heir to the family. That was one of their highest points of value in this day in which they live. Now, of course, we're grateful that we're not living in that day. But we understand what's going on here that even though Hannah could not bring forth a son or a daughter, even though Hannah couldn't bring forth children, which were considered their, their greatest contribution, he still loved her. Amen? So that's very important to notice. And he gave her a great portion. And so as we continue on through Scripture, we're looking here at verse number 6. As we finish, and let's finish first from number five, if you would help me, media. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved her. But the Lord had shut up her womb. Who had shut her womb? The Lord. He was not, she was not able to have children because the Lord had shut up her womb. In other words, the Lord knew something Hannah didn't know. How many have ever been in a position where you've asked God for something and you're like, God, why isn't this working? Why haven't I seen your blessing in this situation? And you feel like God has shut the door on your situation. I want to just talk to you for a minute about that, that verse that we were looking at in Matthew where it says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. I know people that do a lot of praying, but if all they do is pray, and then they never get up and go seek out and see if God has answered the prayer. Or they never knock on a locked door. They will never see all that God wants for their life. Amen? So there's a progression in Matthew 7 and 7. He's saying, first ask, and then go seek. And then if you run into a locked door, it may not be a no for your life. If you have something that said no, someone that said no, a situation with an employer or whatever, whatever it is, you fill in the blank, whatever your no is, it may not be a no from the Lord. It may be a question, are you willing to pray your way into this? Are you willing to knock when the door is locked? That's what I want to get at. And so prevailing prayer that I want to talk to you about is Hannah ran into a locked door because she couldn't have children. And she prayed, and she was sorrowful. If you read through the scripture, it, said in ver it says in um, verse 7, we'll continue on. And as he did so year by year, and when, he, and when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. This is actually... Peniah that provoked Hannah because Peniah had children and she did not. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. This is Hannah who's weeping and she wouldn't even eat. She was so distraught. And so she continues to weep. And then if you look at the next verse, then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? And not am, I, am not I better than 10 sons? <clears throat> he has a low self-esteem complex right there. He's like, hey, 
Am I not better than ten sons? Do you not? Are you? Can't you just be happy? Oh, those are fighting words right there. Can't you just be happy? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now, <clears throat> this is not referring to any kind of intoxicating drink, and you'll see later why I'm saying that. Now Eli the priest sat down upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness. This is referring to Hannah. She was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Look at her desperation. I want you to see her desperation in the scripture because when you get desperate, God will answer. And her desperation at a locked door put her in a position to start knocking. She wasn't willing to just hear no. She wasn't willing to just understand that God had closed her womb. She was sore and sore bitter against the fact that she could not have a child. And she had this bitterness in her heart and began to pray and wept sore. And she vowed a vow. Everybody say a vow. A vow is very important to God. And said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon or look on the affliction of thine handmaiden, she considered herself a handmaiden of the Lord, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall be no razor come upon his head. In other words, she said, If you will give me a man child, I will make sure that he lives out a Nazarite vow. And so she makes a vow, not only for herself, but for her son. That's how desperate she was. She said, if you give me this child, I will train him up and I will raise him right and I will put every bit of effort I can in to teach him how to walk with the Lord. If she had not had that weep, weeping moment, that sore moment where she made a vow, maybe she would have been like every other woman in the scriptures at that time. Just the door was open. They just, have you ever had somebody that seemed to have the door open all the time? Anybody? Where they just seem to walk in and come out with God's blessings and it's just like one big happy Jesus party. Have you ever met somebody like that? It's just like, hey, look at the blessings of the Lord. All right, look what I got from Jesus. Hey, look, I'm going back for more. Hey, all right. And you're like, hey, Lord, did do you remember me? Do you know who I am? I've been faithful. I'm a, I'm a handmaiden of the Lord, she said. I, I, I live for you. I serve you. And yet, I seem to run into all these doors. And I'm just running around knocking on doors, frustrated. Have you ever been there before? And that's where Hannah's at. She's like, everyone else is getting a baby but me. And now this is a reference to a baby, but in your life you can reference it to anything because the Bible says all of the Old Testament is for our example and for our learning and for our teaching. So anything, if you want to apply the word of God to your life better, take whatever physical aspects are going on in the, in the Old Testament and apply, them, and apply them to your life spiritually. So whatever you pray in a prayer, if you're not seeing God open a door, maybe you could liken that unto a birth of a child or, or something being brought forth in your life. That's, that's what we have to do to apply this to our own personal lives. And so she's sitting there and she's just praying and she's weeping and she's knocking at a locked door. And the, the Bible says that the Lord closed up her womb. So there's a reason for the tension. There's, there's, always, there's always a reason for the resistance. Amen. When you trust God with your life, there's always a reason when God holds back for why he's holding back. And I, I have to tell you that it's a beautiful story. And when you get done with this, you get over to chapter two and verse one, it says that Hannah prayed, and my heart rejoiceth in the Lord, 
Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because in one place it says, I smile at my enemies because of the salvation of the Lord. In other words, she said when she got her answer, she was grieved, she was desperate, she was running to God and running against a locked door. But when she had heard, when Eli had heard her pray, he's like, what is the matter with you? You seem drunk. And she's like, no, Eli, the priest was Eli. He's like, I'm not, she's like, I'm not drunk. I'm desperate for God to do something. And then Eli tells her, the Lord has heard your prayer. The Lord has heard your prayer. And she leaves in faith and she prays a famous prayer in chapter two, verse one. A prayer that's in scripture. How would you like to know that when you're desperate for God and when you just keep prevailing in prayer, even when it feels like you're not prevailing, that God will record your words because you trusted in his words, amen? How powerful is that? You have a woman that shouldn't actually be in the scriptures, but because of her desperation for God, we are now reading thousands of years later the exact prayer of a little lady who could not have a child. It seems very small, but it actually is very, very big. That God recorded in his holy word her little prayer of thanksgiving that the God of salvation heard me and I trust in him. And there is none, verse two, there is none holy as the Lord, she says, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. She's saying there's, there's no foundation like standing on the rock of the Lord. There's no place you can go that's more sure than trusting in the Lord. And then she says, talk no more so exceedingly proudly. Let not arrogance come out of your mouth for the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. She is preaching to everybody in her prayer. <laughs> She's saying a message that's so powerful and so beautiful in the prayer she prayed. But do you want to know, fun fact, do you want to know why the Lord waited to give Hannah a baby? Would you like to know? No? Okay, we'll see you next week. <laughs> because what God wanted to do with Hannah's prayer wasn't in the proper time when she prayed. She was coming out of the end of the time period of the judges. The judges were men of God that would direct Israel and guide them according to what the word of God or what God would say to them. They would help guide Israel. And because they were coming to the end of that time period where there was going to be priests and prophets, there was already priests in place, but judges were used to, to help guide Israel. And so what was happening is everybody's running in and out of an open door and having babies. You know, all of this stuff is going on and she's watching it all happen and she's like, where's my blessing? Where's my, my prayer answer? What's going on, God? And God was waiting for the perfect timing because when she went and got a baby, when she walked through the door and God gave her her blessing of a baby and she walked out with that baby, that baby was named Samuel. And Samuel was the first, I feel God's presence here helping me preach this because it's so powerful. Samuel was the first baby ever in scripture who was a judge, a priest, and a prophet all together. 
so when you see this story, you think this is just a little woman lamenting about the fact that she can't have a baby, so her, sat- her status in society is affected. No, she was so desperate for God, and she made a vow to God. I want you to know that I wish I could preach really loud and strong, and everybody walk out of here going, hey, God was here. But I just want you to know this simple story has such weight to it, because when she made a vow, God answered and said, I've got your promise. I've got your baby, but you need to wait for the perfect time. When the time was fully come, amen? How many know on the day of Pentecost, they had to wait for the time to fully come? There was a place in scripture where she desired it before God was ready to give it. So God kept the door locked and said, if you will keep knocking, I know you've asked, I know you've seeked me, and I know you've made a vow, but if you will just keep knocking on that same door, you don't have to worry about the fact that the door is closed. It's not your problem that the door is closed. It's your problem to keep knocking and keep persisting and keep your faith up so you can believe for what God has promised you. And so you see for the first time in scripture that there is at the end of the stage of the judges, Samuel steps on the scene as a priest and a judge and a prophet. What does that mean to us today? How do we apply that to our life? That means that because he was a judge for the past dispensation that was ending, he was a priest for the present dispensation that they were in, and he was going to be a prophet for the future dispensation of the major and minor prophets of the Old Testament. That means that God answered her past, her present, and her future in her promise. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, somebody else can do a better job. We'll see you. That is so good. Do you see what I'm saying? That is just so good. Because when we start to pray our prayers, we may run into some locked doors or some situations where God hasn't provided the finances or hasn't provided the new job or hasn't provided whatever it may be. You, you do the, the, the plug-in for me. But when you just keep knocking on that door and when you, when you get your answer, guess what? It's going to show up. And it's going to show up as an answer not only for what you ask God for in the moment. She was just asking for a baby, but God came and gave her a judge, a priest, and a prophet. In other words, when you get your answer as applied from this story, as we apply it to our life, that means that God's going to show up, and he's going to fix your past, and he's going to touch your present, and he's going to give you your future. All in one answer prayer. All in one. Little baby. Amen, somebody. This is so good. I'm going to be feeding on this the rest of the week. Y'all will be like going to work. I'll be like, Samuel, that dude. Woohoo! Love Samuel. One thing we have to understand is that when God answers Hannah, he's given her everything she needs all wrapped up in one answered prayer because she prevailed in prayer. She just kept praying. How many know when you get desperate for something, people will misunderstand you? Even the priest, the man that was supposed to be hearing from God, misunderstood Hannah's desperation. But she didn't let that faze her. She just kept seeking God. When she didn't feel like she was prevailing, she prevailed in prayer. And then God spoke to Eli and said, I'm hearing this little lady. You need to go tell her I've heard her. And so we have to understand that sometimes what we see in our public life comes from what we've prevailed in prayer in our private life. And the anointing that I experience in this pulpit comes from personal prayer time you don't even see. 
and your life and our lives are all the product externally of what we decide to do with our choices internally. And if we ever learn how to prevail in prayer, we'll live a life that's prevailing in our public life. I promise you that if you do the work of praying, God will do something in your life. Do you have a force of prayer in your life that's hidden, that nobody sees, so that you can be a force for God in your public life? Do you have a prayer force in your life, or does life force you into prayer? Are you acting on defense or offense? <laughs> for all of you football player fans. And let me give you five distinctives of prayer, and then I'll close. Number one is the scripture tells us that whatsoever we ask, what things soever we desire. First of all, desire is the secret power that moves the whole world of living man. The, the thing that God wants from you is your desire toward him. And then it says, when you pray. So we have to pray. We have to have an expression from our lips. We have to speak it. God knows what our hearts need. God knows what we need, but sometimes he wants us to put it into words and express it. And that's number two. We must pray it. We must desire from God. We must pray it. And then we must believe. We must have faith behind our prayers. And we must keep that faith even when it looks like it's not working. Amen? Because James tells us that if we don't, we shouldn't expect to receive from God if we cut off our faith. And so I have a little illustration to finish. And then it also says that we believe what things we have asked. And then, so number five, so number one is whatsoever things you desire, having the desire to pray. Number two is praying out loud or praying a physical prayer. Number three is believing in that prayer. <clears throat> and then number four is believing, you, worshiping God for receiving it before you receive it. Believe that it's going to be, Hannah got up and walked away on a word from the prophet. She didn't have her baby yet. But she believed that Eli was telling her the truth. And then number five is you have received it and then and ye shall have them. So in other words, pray <clears throat> with desire, believe, Continue to worship the Lord as if you've received it and then thank him for having it when it shows up, amen? And you shall have it, is what the scripture says. With God, it's always worth the wait, okay? It's always worth the wait. So I need some help and I'm gonna finish with this. Can I borrow you, Seth? Everybody give my son a big hand. He's such a trooper. He lets me use him all the time for stuff. Would you tie that around your waist? All right, so <clears throat> we're going to throw Seth off the roof, and then we're going to ask the Lord to raise him. Just kidding. He never knows what I'm, gonna, what I'm going to ask him to do. So say, for instance, that I am... Okay, can you hold this for a second? Anybody good at knots? Never mind. Okay, that'll work, right? Okay, good. So this is, I have a need, all right? I'm praying, 
I'm prevailing in prayer. That's what we're talking about. So, Seth, come back over here real quick. Just let that fall out there. Some of you have seen this illustration before, so don't worry. It's still good. It's still good. If it's worth it the first time, it's worth it the second time. Say I have a need. Seth is going to represent my need, and I need to send that need to the Lord in prayer. So I'm going to begin to pray, okay? I'm praying in Jesus' name, Lord, would you help, let's say, would you help us with our financial situation? Let's just say that. It's a financial situation. Um, now I have that prayer out there. What ties me to that prayer is my faith. This is faith. This represents faith. And so while I'm living toward God's answer, just as Hannah was living toward her answer, she had to keep faith to believe that God was going to do it. And when Eli said it, she believed it which kept her connected to the prayer that she prayed. How many know God has all of, knows what we need, amen? But God doesn't answer our needs. He answers our faith. The economy of God, the way that we see God work, is that you and I go to the grocery store and we take out money to purchase groceries, amen? That is what allows us to have purchasing power. Faith is purchasing power with heaven. So when you have faith, the Bible says that you need to build your faith. You need to make your faith strong. Why? So that you can continue to believe God whenever you don't see it yet. Now, let's just pretend I can't see Seth, okay? I can't see the answer. But I've prayed the prayer and I've sent it out. The only thing that keeps me from being disconnected from the answer coming to me is if I cut my faith, if I stop believing that God's going to answer. So if I ever sever this cord, I'm actually losing my prayer. I prayed it, prayed a bunch of prayers, but I don't really believe God can answer. And guess what? My faith gets frustrated because it's not connected to anything. But if I continue to pray, guess what? Can I have someone be the Lord? Oh, I need some. Can you help me, bro? All right. He looks like Jesus with the beard. Let's give him a big hand. He might not come back ever again, but that's okay. No. Could you go down there and stand by Seth? Sure. So actually what's happening here is I'm not actually pulling the answer to me. Jesus, would you grab a hold of the rope? Jesus recognizes my faith, and he pulls me, pull me, he pulls me to the answer in the perfect timing of his will. In other words, he knows what I have need of. And he's going to supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. But we think that we send our prayers out and then like, come on, Lord, I got faith. I'm believing. And then you're in this tug of war with God's timing and your faith. And instead, if you just trust the Lord, he will say, you know what? I see your faith. I'm going to pull you to the answer that I have for you. And guess what? It may not be the exact thing I prayed for, but it's going to be exactly what I needed. Amen? So I might have a concept of what I think this should be as far as my answer. But when I get there, the Lord said, I know I saw your faith. I answered and I brought you to the answer. But guess what? This is a better answer than what you even prayed because he knows what I have need of before I even ask or think. He knows what's best for me. And I'm thankful for for my faith. So you need to work on your faith, brothers and sisters, because your faith doesn't pull your needs to you. God pulls you to your answer. Amen? Thank these guys for helping me out. You can stand while I try to get out of this thing. Hopefully I don't trip. So Hannah, famous prayers. 
Hannah believed God and God opened the door for a past, present, and future blessing all in one. That's what I'm praying for you today. I'm praying for you a past, a present, and a future blessing all in one. And you may not have the door open yet, but I'm praying you have the strength to keep knocking. Just keep knocking and God will answer. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, I hope we've talked to somebody's heart today and someone's situation. I pray that we have seen how you draw us by our faith to the answer that we need. God, would you continue to work on our hearts that we would be persistent in prayer, that we would be willing to be desperate even for you to move and that when we find a locked door, we will kneel down in front of it and just keep knocking. Lord God, you said you'd open unto us if we'd seek your face. So help us to seek the God who gives the answer, not just the answer. Help us to seek and put our faith in you, Jesus, so that you can draw us to the answer and we trust that your answers will always be perfect for our life. We may not be in a perfect situation right now, but we can have your perfect will in an imperfect situation. So I ask you to bless somebody's heart today with this sermon and help them to be led by you and help them to pray prayers in desperate moments that you record in heaven and you say someday when we get there, do you remember this prayer? This was a famous prayer because I kept it because you prayed it from a heart of faith. In Jesus' name, if you receive that blessing of past, present, and future, would you say amen?